Guys, welcome back to another episode of the Ike MMA Show or the Ike MMA Podcast, whichever you prefer. I'm joined in studio today with the conditioned nutrition man himself, Mr. Peter Miller. Peter, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Yeah, good, mate. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to having a, a good chat today. Uh, this will be, uh, for me, quite um, an insightful, sort of um, informative um, conversation and podcast um, with yourself because it's going to be a lot of questions that... Um, I think you're kind of you're like on the inside when it comes to combat sports, and, and I say that because the fighters and the athletes, even the coaches, might be on the inside. But I know because of the contracts and because of they are actively competing in a particular organization, especially if it's one like such as the UFC. Uh, there's certain yeah. things that they cannot say, you know. So yeah. they've got to so they've got to keep certain things to themselves. But um, you yourself, you are a nutritionist. Um, um for um combat sports athletes yeah yeah um go ahead ahead. yeah so i I work i work with guys and um guys in the usc one championship and got a couple of um world champion boxers too so yeah got a quite a wide range of combat sport athletes on the on the roster at the moment um which as in well is there a particular gym that you're attached to that you're based at no, so I, I've literally just moved back from Australia. So I, oh. most of my work is remote online. So that's the, the good job. The good part about my job is I, I can I can connect with different gyms around the world and um, form good relationships. So I've actually moved back to the UK just because um, we've got quite a few guys fighting over the next couple of months and I just see. going to events, networking. The, the downside to Australia as much as it's... Um, Lovely, lovely weather and sunshine. It's a, it's a bit remote for the the sort of fight scene. Even though the UFC is actually in Perth where I live, but oh, yeah, and um, <laughs> but usually it's it's quite quiet. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just come back to to make more connections and catch up with the fighters that I work with over in the UK. No, oh, that's that that is um, that's understandable. And Perth, I think Perth is going to be rocks this weekend with. Uh, um, Volkanovski and uh, God, I keep forgetting his, his name though I should know off the tip of my tongue Khabib's cousin yeah his love gonna... yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes um, yeah, yeah that, that would be a big a big match a big draw both of them especially um, Khabib's cousin um, those guys once they get you on the ground you're not coming back up again yeah if it's going to be a yeah pretty pretty special especially like you know that that, that was my hometown for the last five years so it's good to see that events are coming coming over to Australia and hopefully more in the future. That's that's the only potential downside to in Australia so far away. <laughs> no one wants to uh, no one wants to travel there. So luckily they've got the UFC this weekend, which and um, the card's pretty, pretty stacked to be fair. Um so I always start um uh, I like to start from scratch as much as possible when I'm speaking with anyone who's that's affiliated with combat sports, whether that's a nutritionist like yourself, coach, uh promoter or even the fighters themselves um can you give me a bit of bit give me a bit of just in for brief information about your background and where as in where the story for you started basically yeah so my story is a pretty long one really i i um was always a big fan of combat sports sport in general when i was a kid growing up always competed one of them kids who always competed in every sport possible i i left school with Zero grades, wasn't wasn't particularly interested in education or 
learning them when I was younger. And then um, I finished school and then I, I, I was working in like a garden, a, a small garden centre up until about 20. And then I had a bit of a, a kind of epiphany where I thought, you know, this is, I can't be doing this for the rest of my life. I need to have a bit of a plan. And then, That's, yeah. you know, with, with, me, with me passion for sport in general, I thought, well, I'll, I'll reset, reset all my GCSEs and go back to college. And that's what I did. Went back, ended up doing a sports science degree. Um, after, after the first year, I thought, oh my God, this is like really, like sports science is like super hard and like, maybe a bit out my death here, but ended up doing really well in my first year. Thought, well, this is something that I'm I'm getting more and more interested in. So ended up finishing my sports science degree, did a master's in sports nutrition. And um yeah, as soon as I finished, I thought, well, I'll set up my own business and start working with with athletes. And probably a lot of people know when you first start off a business, it doesn't go quite as uh, as smoothly yeah, as smoothly course, yeah. as that. So took quite a few years to get things going and yeah, I started working. Uh, I moved to Australia not long after I finished my master's degree um, and set up my conditioning nutrition business. It was on Instagram posting generic, you know, fitness facts, you know, tips, hints and stuff. And I wasn't really making a full-time income off it. And then I had a couple of fighters messaging me online saying, do you do weight cuts for fighters? Started doing that and then just ended up going from recommendation to recommendation to fully specialising now in, in the combat sports space and been really lucky to work with some really top draw fighters. And yeah, it's a, it's a job where I'm, I'm very grateful for and it's, it's constantly learning and evolving and improving. And um, yeah, I'm really, really lucky to be in the space. Well, if you say some top names in mixed martial arts, especially here in the UK scene, that they came yeah. to you, I one would assume that then you must basically you must be good at your craft. That they've seen what you do, they've seen the results of um, the work that you do with your other clients. More than likely, must have must have attracted them and suggested to them that this guy knows his stuff. He knows what he's doing. Let me um, get your advice, and um, you can help me prepare for this competition that I've got coming up in the next month or two. Yeah, hundred percent. I think with with anything with business, it's when when you first start off, it's it, the first, it, it, the hardest part is, is getting your getting your name out there. And when once you start, you know, getting a getting a, a sort of higher level client or like someone who's, who's at the top of the game, it sort of becomes like a snowball effect. Once you get, you know, once you have one guy who's one of who's a, who's a top level fighter, and then it just yeah, it just goes from there. And I'm really lucky to, to for the people I work with now, and they put they put the trust in me and. Um, with the beauty of working with fighters too is these are guys who constantly are wanting to evolve and prove every day. So that yeah. that puts that makes me up my game. Think, well, I need to keep I need to keep on my toes and keep on improving and evolving my game and my my practice. So it's a it's a really it's a really good space to work in. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the nutrition and fitness side of things as in um how did you move from as in i'm trying to go from your your background as in how did you as in get into that i mean is it necessarily the because this is basically nutrition and fitness and conditioning is a bit about keeping healthy um did yeah. that attract you more than than probably pursuing the um, actual um combat sporting routes um long term 
the decon and the fitness probably oh, as, in, as in like as in like competing myself as a as a well the out of the two uh, it looks like you've gone down the route of fitness and um nutrition which is i think yeah. if you think if you summarize it together it's about keeping healthy and being keeping yeah, fit yeah. did yeah. that attract you more than pursuing the route of being um, a mixed martial arts athlete or, or combat sports athlete yeah well for me i i, I only i only trained um you know out of sort of enjoyment and getting fit i never was at, at any kind of like <laughs> any kind of decent level. I was one of them guys in school where I kind of played every every sport, football, rugby, um, did a bit of Thai boxing, a bit of jiu-jitsu. So it was never really a thing where I was ever going to get into that. But we're, we're doing the degree. You know, originally when you do a sports science degree, once you finish, you know, you've got the option of, you know, you can go down different paths. You can go maybe the strength and conditioning route or you could go down to physiotherapy route or um, physiologist. And I, I always had a, a passion for the nutrition side of things. So that's when I did a master's degree and really, really dialed in on, on you know, sports, sports performance, nutrition. And um yeah, but the, the good thing about nutrition is it's it's especially in combat sports, you know, 10, 15 years ago, the research wasn't there. Yeah. In, in yes, combat sports. And, you know, if you look, if you wanted to look at research for a football player, rugby player, you could find hundreds of you know really well studied um really well controlled studies on you know, supplements, carbohydrate recommendations, etc. But combat sports is not there wasn't anything, but now. It's grown like the FCPI are putting a lot more research out there. There's more um, studies on combat sports, so it's it's constantly an evolving space, which is which is beneficial for the fighters now. You know, in the past, a lot of the nutrition advice would come from you know passed down from the coach did this and his coach did it this way and his coach did it this way, and the majority of the time, it was not necessarily the right practices. But luckily now. That research is coming out so we can adopt them practices um with the fighters so when it comes to weight cutting you know um they say a lot of athletes and people associated with combat sports as a whole they say yeah. that the weight cut is the most difficult one i mean they you might have the exceptional case of a boy who got to make weight going upwards probably be heavier yeah. than what you naturally are yeah. But I've always been told, and it's clear to see, the weight costing is always the most difficult part of preparing for any competition, combat sports-wise. Yeah, well, hundred percent. Yeah, you know, because you've got you've got two sort of um, you know you've got the fight that you you competing, so you 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 get your training to beat the opponent, but also you've got the side where you have to make weight. So you got you got two things to deal with in that in that in that scenario. But a lot of, you know, unfortunately, with the, on the education side of things, I've gone back to, you know, a lot of fighters aren't educated on how to do the weight cutting process properly. So a lot of the times they're cutting too much weight or they're not feeling themselves enough for training. So that whole fight camp just becomes, you know, 10 times worse than the, the you know, and when it gets to, when it actually gets to the fight, they've, 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 they've They've had a, such a, a bad time during a fight camp. The, the the main focus has been getting that weight down, not the actual opponent itself. Yeah. 
No, I, I, I've seen some, as in, well, let's say horror stories. Um, uh, uh, some female fighters in the UFC, um, they stepped on the scale in, on weigh-in day and they've literally just collapsed. Yeah. Another another case that I've heard of, and it just it, it stuck with me ever since. Uh, there was um, an Irish fighter competing in the in, in Ireland, and uh, he was part of the Clan Wars promoter promotion. And he has told me that in some there have been cases. I think was it was he referring to himself, but he has said that some people have lost so much weight, been in such a severe calorie deficit that um, they've even been able to hear their own brain vibrating in their skull. Yeah. It's it's yeah it's a uh, it's it's quite scary like like you've seen, like I said you've probably seen videos on YouTube on big weight cuts and um I think a lot of time people seeing it as like a I'd say a badge of honor but like this is this is what this is what has to be done this is it is what it is this is what this is what you have to do as your fighter and that's not the case you know now. There tend to be a lot, especially like the UFC. There tends to be a lot less people um, missing weight. There's people who are cutting less, not cutting as much weight now, because there's there's professionals there guarding them to do to do to do it the right way, and also educating them. And going, okay, you know, back in the day, someone will go, well, it still still happens now. People go, well, I fight it. I fight at 70 kilos, but I walk around at 90. I was like, okay, is that is that an optimal, is that an optimal body weight? Is that an optimal fight weight? Sorry for you. Oh no, but that, that's what I've always thought. And that's what the coach tells me to fight that. It's like, okay, well, you know, you're really struggling to get to that weight. That's probably not the best weight class for you. So it's it's all it's it's getting that education for the fighter, getting some assessments in and saying, you know, body composition assessments and and really advising the fighter, right? You know, for the for the for the the benefit of your health and your career. You know, educating them like maybe you need to compete at a higher weight class. Um, I'm I'm going to be a little bit controversial now. Um, you're a Liverpoolian. You're from Liverpool. Yeah. Your accent, you're sorry. Your accent <laughs> obviously gives you away. Um, so. Obviously, you know um Shamrock BJJ. Yeah. You know Dean Garnett. Yeah, yeah. And you obviously know Paddy and uh, Pimbless, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, in Paddy's own case, um, you know him being a big draw in the UFC, especially on this side, um, over here in the UK, yeah. people have mentioned and they've kind of commented that once he's out of let's say fight season when he's not competing, he balloons. And when he's when he is fighting, he shrinks down now, and he's done it at least two or three, four, five times now. Yeah. Um, is that healthy? I, I normally I naturally assume to go for you to go up in weight so um, severely and then go down weight again so severely. That's not good for your health overall. And over time, as you're getting older, you will start to see and feel the side effects. Yeah. So there's two sorts of caveats to this. One, like Paddy actually does work with 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 a nutritionist. Um and apparently he he doesn't balloon up as much as people make out. He just tends to he definitely does put on the weight. You can you can you can see that clearly, but mm. apparently he doesn't put on as much weight as people think. I think he just <laughs> he's just one of them people that tends to go to his it tends to go to his face and his cheeks. 
Um, but there's definitely there's definitely downsides to continuously the yo-yo dieting process where you you're losing large amounts of weight, you're putting it back on again, lose your amount, like, and you're always coming, you're always starting the, the your next camp. But the first few weeks are always a you know a fat camp. The, the focus is getting the weight down, not actually. Oh, okay. We need to do some skill development here, or we need to focus on you know a bit of a tactic for the you know for the opponent that we're facing. So yeah. it is definitely downsides that, and also it makes the it just makes the whole process harder. It sounds because you're putting on say, for example, I, I'm going to use Paddy, well, Paddy for example. Say he, you know fights at seventy, then he balloons up again to eighty, then. He dies back down to seventy, but then next time he come, he goes, he puts on a couple extra key. Then he's eighty-two kilos. He's just he's just putting on that little bit more weight each time, which obviously makes having to diet down more, be more aggressive with the calories when he's in fight camp. So it's just like I always say to the guys I work with, like look, like I, I get it with a fighter win, lose, draw. It's been a you know it's been a taxing process the whole fight camp experience, the training food the weight cut and you do want to go and enjoy yourself you want to you know have that pizza that you haven't had the whole camp or you want to have that drink i get that but you, you, there's got to be a point where you go okay we've had a little bit of we've indulged a little bit now now it's time to you know get back into some kind of structured routine because as i said before it makes that you know, you do get that call up. You're not like, oh shit, I'm, I'm, you know, I've got 15 kilos to lose now. You, you, you're ready. You're ready to go. Yeah, you're enough ready to go. I've got guys where we try and adopt a bit of a call like a reverse diet. It's, it's, it's a concept like which is used quite a lot with bodybuilders when they've done a competition, mm-hmm. and to yeah. slowly increase the calories post fight so they're not ballooning up straight they're not ballooning up they're, they're just slowly increasing the calories they're putting on that weight and they're not they're not putting on as much fat mass mm-hmm. yeah. so we try and adopt that with guys um post fight but obviously it's difficult as i mentioned before you know win lose your jaw sometimes people want to go out and <laughs> and enjoy themselves but adopt adopting some kind of good practices post fight because then when they do get the call up the the body composition wise they're in a good place and they can start the fight camp not a fat camp <laughs> no no of course um uh, it's one thing that it, they said that the people who do go on these um uh, i think in reality you've got to make it a lifestyle choice you know, yeah uh, you, you've got to try and stick to it and do, try and do it for, for life i mean you will have periods in between birthdays and celebrations christmases and holidays where what but I will indulge and enjoy yourself. But I think, you know, you do have to make it um, a lifestyle choice. And it brings me on to another question, which if any lefties or Karens are listening to this or watching this, they might um, uh, have a go at me in the comments section. But do you think that the issue with, say, with say in, in the UK, obesity is, do you think it's a mental problem or do you think people are just lazy to lose the weight? My God, I think I I put you on the spot here, haven't I? That's a, that's a that's a very good question. Um, I'm not I'm not sure. So I'll give you a bit of a different viewpoint on it. So I so I, I've lived I've lived in Australia for the last five years. I'm not for the last five years. 
And from what I've seen from like living in a warmer climate, people's yeah. mentality to go out and exercise is so much different. Like you'll go, I'm not I'm not saying this is this is fully the reason, but when you've got nice weather and you're living in a nice climate, you you're more inclined to to get up and be active. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'll go to my local, you know, there's a coastal walk where I used to live, and you go there at six o'clock in the morning, it's absolutely like like someone's running a marathon, like packed, like people all, 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 all ages. And I think in terms of like the UK, I think there's when, you know, for example, the winter, it's dark at five o'clock. There's the emphasis of like going, oh, do I really want to get, put my shoes on and get up and go, <laughs> and go, and, yeah. and go for a walk. It, it, it is an excuse, don't get me wrong, but I feel like from just living in two different, two different climates, I think definitely the environment makes makes a massive difference in in people's attitudes to exercise. Yeah, no, of course. Um, even okay, even over here in the UK, when I think even when it's uh, summer, middle of summer, when it's supposed to be very hot and sunny, yeah. you do get a lot of people out and about more, as in staying out for work, not even just exercise, but socializing, yeah. or going for walks. Like, yeah, you see social media, people are like. They're going for a hike or they're going for this, but when it's the winter, it's like, oh, I don't want to do that at all. I just want to stay in. Like, um, obviously, it's a lot. It's a it's a lot more complex than that, but that's just the thing that I've 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 sort of got my brain ticking over the past couple of months. Just thinking, you know, you see people. It's like six o'clock in the morning, and it's like, as I said, it's like it's like a it's like a it's like a marathon. Like it's like like the Perth Marathons on the coastal walk in the morning, and you just people are up active. They're going for swims. There's a lot more active things to do there. So I think, you know, would that be different over here if the weather was that? Yeah, it's just yeah. As I said, it's not it's not it's just a, it's just a theory that I thought in, in, in my head. Um. Okay. Um. This is why I. It may sound really controversial, but I'm I'm tr- gonna try and not to be um so controversial. Um, now in combat sports, um, again because I I was glad to have this conversation with you because you're like someone's working the inside, but you're not tied to keep quiet about certain things. Yeah. Um, and people out there will say, "What a stupid, stupid question." But okay, I'm gonna ask you anyway. Um, yeah. The usage of PEDs in combat sports. Is it really as prevalent as what I hear that that this fight has been juiced to the gills and that fight has been taken PD since whatever, whenever? Um, so in my experience, and I, I've I've worked with probably three hundred plus fighters now, that that's never been a, a thing that's been brought to my attention. Um, do I believe that it does go on? Hundred percent. Um. I think the thing with with smaller organisations or local shows, regional shows, no one, there's no, there's no drug tests and there's no, there's no one there drug testing anyone. So if you really wanted to, I suppose you could, you could be juiced up to the eyeballs and getting, getting the cage ring and no one would really know. Um, but yeah, that's actually a good question. Do do you think it's prevalent? I'd say. From what I've seen, people at Wayne's and I've looked at them, I've gone there's there's potential that the the potential on something, but obviously that's a big claim. You know, they might be 
in <laughs> might go on them anomalies where they're in awesome shape. But I definitely think it it does it does go on. I just don't think it would happen as much in the bigger organizations. I'll just with USADA and the drug testing, um, especially like the UFC one championship, you know, boxing organization, these guys get drug tested quite a lot. So I don't think they'd get away with it. I still consider myself to be quite a lay person in the combat sports. So that's just why I'm always careful about what I say. But for someone like yourself, um, just looking at parts of how the, their overall physique and um, how they're performing in the cage, octagon of the ring, are there any telltale signs to spot that this person probably has used something in the run-up, in the lead-up to this competition? That is That is a very good question. And... Probably couldn't give you an answer for that. I, I, I think it's very difficult to, to really determine that. Yeah, I, I think that I think it'd be it'd be quite hard. Like, say for example, well, if you hadn't seen, I think one potential telltale sign is if you were you were following a fight over a certain period of time, and, and their physique had suddenly just drastically changed. Like, you know you know, with a good training program, nutrition plan, you know, you do get, you can get some extraordinary changes in, in your body composition. But if it looks to the point where it's absolutely like, you know, the guy, the guy, the, the, the guy adds, you know, now looks like he's twice the size and he's, he's, he's ripped to the eyeballs. It doesn't look like he's got a pig of fat on him. Potentially, but I think it's very, it, it's, it, it's, it's an airway. It's very, it's, it's very hard to determine and it's a sort of a touchy subject where you, you can't really you can't really mm. you can't really accuse someone without yeah, you know so um yeah in terms of your answer to that I think I think maybe just observe like if you've seen someone's physique over over a certain period of time like their physique has drastically changed within six months yes then you know potentially but um yeah, it's very hard to say. Sorry, I couldn't give you a, a really definitive answer. No, no, I can I can understand that because it's one of those um, things that's quite it's quite hard to tell. They'll find signs maybe there, but you can't say for sure unless the person himself actually openly admits it to you and gives you admission to to take and I think, some substances. I think, I think it's one of the things as well where I I I know I know the area of like um, little bits of the area on like steroids and stuff, but I think it's quite hard for someone who's not, I think, for example, someone who was a nutritionist in the bodybuilding physique space, they probably get a better eye than someone who's just in my space, but that's not really a thing that comes to, comes to my thoughts, if that makes sense. No, um, maybe someone who was in that, in that space may, may notice something differently, but as I said, there's so many, there's so many factors and, and without actually getting t- drug tested, you can't really make any any sort of claims. Yeah. Um, the one last thing I, I may ask you uh, is the um, which is related to the PEDs. Um, yeah. Now Conor McGregor, the last fight he had, which was against um, Dustin Poirier back at the UFC two sixty four. Now, it was extraordinary how that his leg just gave way. And he just collapsed to the canvas of the of the cage. Now, would you say that's because of what we call what they say is ring rust, or he's just been very inactive? He hasn't been 
training enough to get ready for that fight that his body is almost like deteriorating? That's actually a very good question. And it could be it could be a mixture of all them factors. Could be could be a mixture of the factors where you know the inactivity um you know might cause a niggle in training or you know something's happened in training. I think I think it's I think it'd be very hard to, to, to determine that because you've um like you've you've probably seen a few times in the UFC where people have broken the legs and yeah. you know they've been trained like they've had the best fight camp they've ever there's a there's a guy who was the so the Australian version of of say Cage Warriors, it's called Eternal, and one of the champions who was based in Perth, he was um the champion at lightweight. First round of the fight, goes for the kick, his leg breaks, and like it's just one of them things where mm. you know, like you, you you can you could plan the best the best fight camp plan ever or do the best strength and condition. Sometimes it's just in the luck of the gods where things things like that happen. For me, the, the you know the situation where the person's leg breaks when they try to perform the leg kick. Yeah. I was in. You don't. You don't think that the human body can actually, as in that is possible, unless of course you've maybe been involved in an accident and you break your leg. But I mean, I've. I think I know the situation you're talking about. The opponent checks the leg kick, and the <laughs> the other guy's leg actually just breaks literally in half, and they fall to the floor. Yeah, yeah. It was a. Uh, no. it, it wasn't. It wasn't nice to see. It. Like it wasn't. No. I read it, like he, he's actually a really nice fellow as well. It was like it was. It wasn't a. Mm. It wasn't nice to see. Definitely. No. Okay, um, uh, gradually rounding up, Israel Adesanya versus Alex Pereira at UFC 287. Who do you have winning that fight? Um, that's a good question. I feel like is he's gonna win. I feel he's got. I feel. I feel. Um, I feel he will. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe decision. Yeah. I don't think he'll um, get away with I knockouts. I don't. I think. I think it'll go to decision. I think it'll be just a, a like a, a tactical slick performance by him. I think. Okay, and not to repeat his name, but Conor McGregor versus Michael Chandler. Who do you see taking the one away from there? I think Michael Chandler. I think. I think. To be honest, I think. Obviously, Conor McGregor in his prime, I'd say, yeah. I, um, but I just think maybe just that inactivity. Yes, yes, yeah. Catch up on him in the end. And especially, you know, MMA is a sport where it's a young man's game where, you know, you have a bit of inactivity. There's only certain circumstances, like when, you know, George St. Pierre came back, you know, it's, it's and especially with the, you know, his, his injury, it's, yeah, it's a hard one. But I, 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 I can, Probably putting me on the on Chandler. Yeah, I I can kind of see the fight going that way. Probably, I mean, Chandler is ferocious. That's a ferocious stand up in the cage, yeah. and Conor McGregor. Yeah, he's been inactive for a very a very long while now. Yeah. So before we round up, is there anyone you want to give a shout out to? Family, friends, business partners, or athletes? Um, that's actually a good question. Um. Can't think of anyone specific that need to uh, just a shout. I suppose it's just a shout out to everyone who uh, 
who follows me page, who, who likes me content, who, who works and puts the trust in, in my content. So, yeah, very, very grateful for everyone to put the trust in me. Couldn't give it, I can't think of anyone that specific, but yeah, just uh, anyone who, who follows my page and me fighters that work for me, and uh, yeah, certainly grateful for that. Well, Gus, you have a significant following on Instagram. I think you've got about, what, 16, 17,000 followers on there. So you've got quite a big following. So your content must be very good and very um, successful and does, for people, does work for them a lot. So you're, you are definitely, well, your hard work is paying off. So congratulations and keep up the good work. Thank you very much, mate. Thank you. Guys, if you did enjoy the podcast, if you did enjoy this episode, don't forget to leave a like or don't forget to leave a like or and don't forget to subscribe to the channel. You can also catch the podcast on the audio platforms of Spotify, iTunes, and Google Podcasts. And Peter, definitely we'll have to get you back on the show again at some yeah, point. Yeah, you have yeah. you definitely seem very knowledgeable, especially about the fitness and the conditioning. Thank you. So thank have to you. get you back on here. Yeah. Yeah, All right. Thank you so much. And thank take you, care. Yeah. See ya.